This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And, you know, the two most iconic alien races of Star Trek are the Klingons and the Romulans. And we thought it'd be fun to kind of take a look at both of them in the original series, kind of compare them, not, you know, versus or either, you know, just kind of strength the weaknesses, our favorites, our least favorites, that's kind of stuff, because they are the recurring villains of the original series, and they're the only two that kind of justified having their own spaceship as well. In the <laughs> so I think that alone puts them... Now, actually, I say that the Tholians had a spaceship as well, which got reused in The Way to Eden. So the Cleon Romulan ships are, though, the most iconic, so... I agree. I, I love these guys um, because I think uh, when you when you look back when the series was being made in the 1960s, you had a lot of World War II veterans, uh, you know, producing the show, writing the show. Roddenberry himself was a was a bomber pilot. All those things, and I think it, you know the villains kind of took um, uh, kind of parodied a little bit the villains that were being fought in in World War II to a degree, and uh, I, I think it, they really did a nice job uh, coming up with two diametrically different opponents for the Federation and uh, threats on both sides, but threats from two very different cultures. And I, I really think they, they, they did a nice job with that. I, I think that the, uh, the introduction to for both of these villains was outstanding. If you think about the first episodes they appeared in, what about you, Zach? Yeah, the Romulans came first, which people might not think right. about because the, the Cleons didn't show up to the very end almost of the first season of Star Trek. So people think, Star Trek Klingons, you know, go together like, you know, bacon and eggs or whatever, but but not really for the for the, you know, 90% of the first season of Star Trek there were no Klingons. Right. And the uh the Romulans came across in in episode 9, uh Balance of Terror, uh production order. So that's the way I described the episodes. Fair enough. And of course we didn't see him again for a while after that, but but still that still made an impression and as you said Ken, the the, inter- the introductory episodes of these races are so important because if it had been a mediocre episode they probably would have never revisited these guys to begin with so since they made such a strong impression and were so popular they ended up coming back both these races ended up coming back after their debuts let's let's talk about these introductions a little bit because you had two i think two two very powerful actors if you think of Mark Leonard and the Romulan commander, I don't know if he had a name other than he was the Romulan commander. No, that, that, that's a trend with the Romulan commanders on the original series that they have no names. <laughs> They're just Romulan commander. Yeah, yeah. and But, you know, he, he actually just played, you know, a, a, a brilliant character, I thought. Now, I know the show was based a lot on Enemy Below, and you can actually, you know, if you watch Enemy Below and you watch The Balance of Terror, there's a lot of, um, a, a lot of similarities in, in both the character for... Uh, the the person who played the the German submarine captain in that movie and himself, you know, thinking things through. Is this the right thing? He he wasn't a fan of Hitler in Enemy Below. He wasn't really a fan of the Praetor and what he had to do. He was, you know, he was thinking back and forth. He was he was being the good soldier, but at the same time, you know, he's like, what what are we leading the race to? And then you have John Calicos, right, who comes in playing core, 
an errand of mercy who just plays the ultimate war, the ultimate conqueror. He doesn't care about anything. You know, it'll be glorious. I, I, I really love the way uh, these these two actors really took the lead characters of these villains and portrayed them, I thought, brilliantly. And, and I think, you know, there's been a lot of conversations between who, who the better villain is. And they've both been used as time has gone on, I think, you know, appropriately, whether it's in the movies or, uh, you know, across the next generation or whatnot. I mean, the Romulans have always remained the opponent while the Klingons have kind of evolved, which is probably the opposite of what you'd think, um, just if you if you look back at TOS. But at any rate, these 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 two um, these two actors, these two characters, I think, carried the flag. And if it wasn't, like you said, for that huge kickoff uh, from from both of them, uh, you're right. They would have just kind of faded away, and we would have had I don't know Ferengi or something weird. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Now, for uh, for Mark Leonard, right? He's not only a template for Vulcans, right? Because he goes on to play Sarek, but also Romulans right. as well. And then he goes on to play a Klingon. So that guy, he was just everywhere uh, on Star Trek. He was he was the Mark Alimo before Mark Alimo, uh, who also played a Romulan in their first appearance on the Next Generation. So it's it's all connected, guys. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. His character, of course unfortunately passed away at the end of his episode so he did not get to return as that character but john calico's does return not in the original series but in d space nine multiple times as core so they each kind of have their own legacy uh as the as the franchise goes and uh it, it, to, your, to your point you know about coming up with these villains right i, I thought it was interesting that at the time they didn't think like okay guys these are going to be the villains right you, you joke about the mm-hmm. ferengi right but you look at early next gen and they're like there's a couple episodes before the last outpost where they're like oh the ferengi guys you know they're trying to like tease the big villain coming up and then you meet them and it's a terrible fail and they completely <laughs> you know have to you know uh, readjust and recalculate what they're doing with their villains but with mm-hmm. the original series, they came up with individual episodes and came up with antagonists for those stories, and just kind of it kind of grew out of that. Like like Paul Schneider wrote *Balance of Terror*, writer for hire, not Gene Roddenberry, right? He didn't have some like here are going to be the bad guys of their show, right? Same right. thing with uh, the Klingon, Gene L. Coon. Now Gene L. Coon was actually producer; he kind of a more permanent higher up role uh, than most of these writers on Star Trek, but still. You know, this is not this is not Gene Roddenberry who came up with a villain for Star Trek. These are these are you know, independent writers coming and bringing their bring their own things in, which I thought was great. Ken, I don't know, I don't know if you looked at the outline that I made, but <laughs> I am looking right at it. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> does it does it surprise you that because if you didn't, I was gonna be like, how many episodes do you think these characters appeared in? But what it you know, I, I don't know if it would surprise it surprised me when uh, when I looked this up way back, you know, because I've known these facts for a while because I'm a huge nerd. But the Romulans, they're only in three episodes of the original series, which that doesn't really surprise me as much, you know, because I, I know that, like, you know, they appeared a couple times. And, and, and even one of those times, the Deadly Years, they didn't even appear on screen. It was well, all stock footage. Yeah, that, that's what I was going. <laughs> it, you know, I, I always thought and, until you put up the Deadly Years, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, it's just it's just the ship, you know, blasting away. It, it wasn't anything more than that. So really... With actors involved, there were only two Romulan episodes, yeah. <laughs> and they and they even took the damn Klingon ship. <laughs> it was that's a clever it use was. of stock footage, right? The original series uses stock footage, like okay, fine, we'll go to the neutral zone. The Romulans notoriously we don't communicate with them very much or visual, so right. we'll just have their ships popping up, shooting at us. Works great. All you need is that one shot over and over of the decloaking and the and the plasma torpedo, and that's all you need. So I thought that was pretty pretty smart. Even though, yeah, I would have loved to see more Romulan episodes because I think for mo- as far as most people are concerned, right, the Romulan episodes, both of them, because uh, Deadly Years gets a big asterisk by it, right? It does. Balance of Terror Enterprises in it are usually on most people's top ten list, and to think of both their appearances, two episodes being on everybody's top ten list. There's, they're doing something right. The Romulans on TOS. Uh, you're right about that. In Balance of Terror, I, I think I have listed as my favorite on different different conversations that I've had at different times. So it is kind of funny that you know that uh, it had that kind of impact, and yet they were only pulled out um, of the you know uh, pulled into different scripts twice beyond that, and in once really where they, they, they really interacted with them. So you're right. It, it, they bookended it very, very well. I think, you know, um, very early in the first season and very early in the third season. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah, I, um, I, I was surprised when I looked at that list. I think just 
I, I knew the Klingons were in many more episodes because they were always kind of here or there, you know, in the periphery or causing trouble and mischief, you know, because that's what they do. But um, I didn't realize it was seven versus really two, you know, in terms of how much play they had. Well, even then, right, the Klingons only in seven episodes. Like you think about the original series, you think they're popping up like every third or fourth episode. Right. Uh, but again, they, they got a late start, right? They start to the end of the first season. And then, you know, they're only in... Uh, you know, a handful after that. season two, I guess, is more the big season of the Klingons, I guess. Right. Uh, but if you because if you start divvying it up to, to that point, I think I brought this up before. We're just talking about favorite episodes. Right. I think it's very interesting that both Rhymeland episodes. And again, I say both, but you guys know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Both Rhymeland episodes are in people's top 10. I would say probably Trouble of Tribbles makes people's top 10. Mm-hmm. But that's really the only one out of these other seven Klingon episodes that makes it. And it's not even really a Klingon episode. They are in it. But they're not the reason people love it. That's true. That's true. It, it, they, they don't they don't carry the day. Errand of Mercy may be on the periphery, but you know I, you're right. I think you're absolutely right. It is it is funny how that works. Uh, and it's not too that that the um, you know, like the Day of the Dove or the Savage Curtain. They're they're good episodes, I think. Uh, but you're right. They're they're not they're not in people's top ten list. But they do carry the episodes just fine. And it's not that the Savage Curtain has a huge presence of Klingons, by the way. It is a Klingon. Keyless. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you think of it. It is funny how some of these um, these small characters or small use of characters in you know in, in a fleeting moment in an episode. Look what look what's happened with Kalis in in the subsequent TV series, right? I mean, it's just amazing. You know, just. Uh, they they definitely do keep up with their history. That's for sure. Yeah, it, it, just going down the the list uh, for, for the episodes, right? So, Aaron and Mercy, a great episode. Yep. Right, and it, and it's truly about the Klingons, even though the Organians are there, and that's a huge factor as well. The Klingons are like that's their big debut. It's a lot to them, right? You look at the you look at the next one on the list, right? Friday's Child. Yeah, yeah. There's only one Klingon. There's like a mm. at least in the uh, original version. There's like a really blobby-looking ship that you don't really see very well. Some kind of Klingon Scott ship, and that's really it. Yep. Uh, it's it's not really that great of an episode. It's probably the worst one of the Klingon episodes, at least in my opinion. I've never really been a fan of it. I don't like it either, yeah. Trouble Tribble's great episode, mm-hmm. right? You got William Campbell yep. as Koloth, although he's way better suited for Trelane than Koloth, in my opinion. Not really my favorite Klingon, but he means Koloth. Uh, in fact, his number two guy, Korax, the guy that uh, insults the Enterprise as Scotty gets in a fight with, that guy's a you know probably a more formidable Klingon <laughs> The Koloth in that episode. Yes, um, yes. Although he looks like he was on his way to Woodstock, but we'll carry it. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> and then, you know, Private Little War, people remember that for the Magatu, right? <laughs> That's right. I, I mean, like, there's a Klingon in it, right? And it's one of those interesting in you know, a Cold War episodes, you know. Yeah, but yep. it's still, like, they're, they're a presence, but they're not a factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Land of Troyes, you, you d- it, it's pretty much a glorified Deadly Years. Absolutely. Use, use of the Romulans. It's like, okay, you have a Klingon ship floating around. We have one guy who's like, I don't know, some extra. His beard is terrible. I don't know if people have seen this episode in a while. He's got like this kind of two-pronged looking beard almost. I don't. It's bad makeup, <laughs> even for the Klingons. He pops up on the view screen a couple times. That's it. Yeah. Very. They're just a small, small role in that episode. Day of the Dove is huge. That's probably the my, my favorite Klingon episode mm-hmm. up there with there in Mercy because I'm more of a Kang guy. Michael Ansara's Kang is, is equally as iconic as John Colicos's core, in my opinion. And he comes back, too, twice. Yeah, he comes back multiple times, yeah. And then, uh, of course, we get Savage Curtain with, with Kalis. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and, you know, and as you said, that's a great point. Like, that, 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 well, that one episode, the one with Abraham Lincoln in space. That's right. Right? We get, like, the, yep. we get Surak. We get Kalis. We get Colonel Green, who Enterprise references as well. That's so, right. like, the, there are lots of pull forwards from that episode. Uh, so, anyway, so th- that's your that's your roster of episodes we're dealing with here. And and, and when you take a step back, you're like, wow, there's 79, 80 episodes of the original series, and the Klingons are in less than 10. percent Yeah, yeah, and and you know, it's it's funny too how when the movies came along, it it's all Klingon, right? That wasn't the intent, but it was all Klingon. It, it really was, and it's they have just dominated. So it is it is funny how um, you know f- for whatever reason because they are just a brutal enemy, a um, you know a Soviet or whatever you want to call them, uh, you know with with kind of a um, I don't know if 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 I would say you know when you think about the honor and all that other stuff that that the Japanese ninja type approach to things, but a great combination of just um, of badasses. 
that that get tamed, you know, in TNG to a degree, uh, and they're struggling with that. But I really think that um, you, you know they they just play better because I, it seems like when they pull the Romulans into the films or even into um, the other series, it just doesn't work as well. Or maybe it's just because Nemesis didn't do well. I, I don't know. It's hard to say. But the Klingons seem to have a presence that when they change their appearance in the motion picture and then, you know, were pulled into to Star Trek 3 and 4 uh, and 5 and 6. <laughs> you know, I mean, and and of, like, course, of course, Worf is in the rest, so Klingons are in every single Star Trek movie. They're in every Star Trek movie. So it's just... Um, it's just amazing to me, you know, the pull that they they have again because I think they're they're a real they're a real um, badass villain, and the Romulans are more you know conniving, clever. They're they're gonna they're, they're gonna they're gonna creep in and get you from from underneath. That you're not gonna see them coming, type of thing. And that's not just in relation to their cloaking device, but they're you know they're a very intellectual, very um, Roman Empire esque type of, of society, right? You get the Romulan Senate. Um, you have so you have some kind of weird version of democracy. Uh, you know, they, they have trust issues, obviously, emotional Vulcans for lack of a better term. So you kind of feed back into Vulcan's history. And so you know, they they have these these two very different dynamics that I think play very, very well. But if you you know if you, for I think correct me if I'm wrong, from a pure entertainment factor, I guess, as to what you can do with them, it seems like the Klingons um, just for whatever reason, come off better. I, as as the as as the primary villain. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think when they were re- reinvented a bit visually, yeah. and culture wise for the movies, I think definitely they were a lot more visually interesting mm-hmm. to look at because because that's the problem, right? The Romulans they look just like the Vulcans, and that's a two edged sword. Mm-hmm. It's a cool twist when you meet them for the first time, and there's some interesting story. Like that's a lot of universe building, like you said, it ties back in the Vulcans, right? Not only do we have the Earth Romulan War they talk about in the past, we have you know the whole split off from Vulcan and reunification that Spock's working on. So that the Romulans just they're a lot more interesting conceptually, I guess, and all the all the pieces of the Star Trek universe they touch because of who they are. But the Klingons, yes, I agree. They're, they're, a, lot, they're a lot more entertaining, right? Because they're warriors, right? They, they like to battle, you know? So there's a lot more action and potential there for them, you know? So I, I think that that is why they keep coming back to them. Also, you know, just from a pure production standpoint, re- rewinding to the original series, the Romulans, right, they have years, pointed years. Mm-hmm. And that, that's hard to do. You know, it takes time. You gotta you gotta sculpt people's ears and get them old. And you know, Leonard Nimoy obviously had to do that every day. <laughs> but these for these guest stars, they had to you know specifically make things for them, mm-hmm. so ears for them. So you know, as, as you notice on on uh, the Romulan episodes, and even when they go to Vulcan, right? Uh, a lot of helmets are going around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's to to kind of hide their ears. But you know, mm-hmm. it, it it fits with the aesthetic. It works. You know, that kind of it, it doesn't it doesn't like I don't look at it and say ah they're being cheap. I like, oh, okay. I buy that. I buy this Roman S society. They're even even their costumes, right? They have like the hmm? I don't know what you, drapes. I don't know what you call those, but they know. were very interesting costumes. Yeah, they've never gotten the Romulans right and for whatever reason. They just haven't. I don't think. <laughs> that, that being said, right, uh, the Klingons were cheaper to do on the original series because you know it's it's ba- their costumes, right? And I, I I am not a fan of the Klingon costumes on the original series. They look very cheap because it's like okay, here's a, here's a black turtleneck, yep. and this and this gold pullover, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we'll put a little mustache and goatee on you, and then kind of sometimes <laughs> we'll darken your complexion, sometimes not, and that's it. That's right. Snidely whiplash. Here you go, right <laughs> <laughs> from out of space. <laughs> so, uh, so you can get. I mean, you look at Aaron and Mercy, right? You get like a dozen of these guys walking through the streets and stuff, and that, that's easier to do than if you had to like sculpt ears and all that. So, so, so that was part of the reason. And then also audience confusion. That's uh, uh, infamously why you know Klingons originally. Uh, were Romulans in Star Trek Three, and then that was switched, so so people wouldn't be confused. And I think I don't know. I think I, I don't know. I, I I think Hollywood doesn't give audiences enough credit. <laughs> Sometimes I think they could tell the difference. Well, I I, I think you got to know your shows and your movies. I, I mean, in Star Trek, if you don't think people could tell the difference, uh, you got a problem because back then it, you didn't have that mass appeal outside of I think a lot of the Star Trek fans. Not really till Star Trek Four did you get a, a universal audience coming to see it. So I. I, yeah, I don't know what what they were thinking because when as soon as they said bird of prey and it was a Klingon ship, well then I was confused, right? I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> that, that, see, and that is a huge pet peeve of mine yeah. when um when the show itself gets these terminologies confused, right? Right? Like the Romulans 
have birds of prey and warbirds. Mm-hmm. All right, and then the Klingons have battle cruisers, and then they got birds of prey, and then the Romulans got their battle cruisers. Yeah. Okay, but still, listen to me now. I'm listening. The Klingons, ne- the Klingons never had warbirds, and that annoyed the crap out of me. <laughs> In Star Trek 09, where they're doing the Kobayashi Maru, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, Klingon Warbirds. I'm like, no, that is so <laughs> wrong. That is inaccurate. All right, you got so much right at the beginning of that film with the like the prequelness of the beginning of Star Trek 09. They got that totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this is all. It's all interesting how it's all kind of tied together and kind of flip back and forth, like what what the races, uh, both of these races, their characteristics are and their objectives are and their approaches are. Right? The Romulans had a cloaking device, you know. And that makes sense for their kind of thinking. But the Klingons having a cloaking device doesn't... It's always like... It's not very honorable, <laughs> is it, to have a cloaking device if you're a Klingon? No, it's not. And um, and and again, there's a lot of... You know, it is funny, right? Because we talk about revisionist history, but we are talking about a show. <laughs> so I do yeah. get it. Right? I mean, it's like, okay. So somebody, you know, somebody drew a line and, and the lines didn't connect, but... You know, it, that I think that was one of the, the tougher things about Discovery when it first launched. It's like, this is just not very consistent. And, um, you know, and, and I think the um, the mindset was, is when the, the Klingons and the Romulans formed an alliance during Captain Kirk's era, during the five-year mission, uh, you know, okay, we get this ship design, but you get this piece of technology, right? I mean, it's just what what they shared. So you get it. Um, but the rest of it just no. It, you're right. It it isn't very honorable. But the um, the fact that they just run with it, uh, you know, from with with the bird of prey, and it becomes such a, a staple in Star Trek after Star Trek Three, uh, it's amazing to me. So I, I thought it was a great ship. It just needed a different name, because it just didn't fit. It's a shame because the bird of prey becoming so popular, which which I love the bird of prey. It's probably my second favorite design after the Enterprise uh, and Enterprise refit. Mm-hmm. But the Romulan bird of prey has just dropped off the face of the earth <laughs> since then, right? And famously, the model either got lost or destroyed or something, right, in the original series. And that's why they had only stock footage or had to use the Klingon ship, which they just built for season three. And we've talked about that. That's one of my favorite things about the original series, right, the, the ship switch. But we've never seen a Romulan bird of prey since the original series. Uh, and then Enterprise, obviously, picked it up. But that was pre-original series, you know. That's right. So uh, I, I really wish we would have seen some different Romulan ship designs. I mean, there are no Romulan ships <laughs> in the in the movies, in the TOS movies, right? No, there aren't. We get to Next Gen Era, right? We get the Warbirds, which is a great design. It is. They are. They are really cool, I have to admit. Yeah. Starts with a D. It's the name of those ships. Out of Dietrichs or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but those, those, those are giant green ships you know and then we get a nemesis i actually i do like the updated romulan warbirds there they, they're, they're like almost more like you know birds <laughs> you know those are pretty cool design well i i, I kind of took it as the um you know it, the bird of prey right as designed was supposed to be a romulan ship right and they, they changed it i guess right last minute. true that, that that's true right yeah. so the the warbird with the huge wings and nemesis uh, kind of resembled just a larger version you know, updated, of course, of what the bird of prey would have looked like, and I and I think they, you're right. I think they did a pretty good job with it. Um, you know, again, it, you know, a lot of these designs throughout throughout Star Trek is, you know, when you when you say they lost the original Romulan warbird, which you know, Romulan bird of prey, kid. Bird of <laughs> sorry, bird of prey, and it and it had it had everything painted on it and everything, and it looked it looked really cool. And they say they lost it, and I was like, I, yeah, but it doesn't look like it would take that much to recreate it. I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it's That's a great point. kind of you know like a it, it just it just looks like a wing, a flying wing with with two nacelles on the other side or two engines on on the outer side, and you know so it's it seemed like a very simplistic thing to to put back together. I I, I really don't understand why it went away, but you know again it, the um, the whole idea of the difference between. The two villains, I thought, again, you had Romulans who had better technology were, I, I, I guess the thought process were, right, because they were Vulcan spinoffs or whatever, that they were more intelligent. More and thoughtful. So they more yeah. thoughtful. But their technology should have been better in theory than, you know, these, um, the Klingons who, you know, as we learn now, I guess, essentially, or I don't know if it's, if it's canon or not, you know, conquered enough and conquered some folks that had superior technology. So they, they, they just can, you know, they would upgrade through, through conquering that type of thing was the theory. Um, not really coming up with designs of their own. Uh, and that, that kind of changed a little bit as, as time went on, obviously, but 
I just think that uh, if they kind of kept with that, it, it would have been more consistent with the characters themselves. Where you know, I, and I understand the Klingons evolve in TNG and they become allies um, based on what happens in, in Star Trek Six. So I get it, but it um, you know up until Star Trek Six occurred, which was running concurrently with the Next Generation, it wasn't an easy reach to figure out why these two came together. Um, it would have been an easier reach for me, I think, on the on the on the Romulan side because logically, um, intellectually, you know. It, you're just not going to win through through brute force. I mean, it's 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 kind of the whole alternate universe timeline. It's just you know eventually empires fall that type of thing. Talking about the historical like countries on our planet and alliances, right? The the Romulans are more envisioned as the China, right? And right. the Klingons are more is the original series, right? And the Klingons are more envisioned as Soviet Russia. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Well, it's funny because they're both a mix of both. If you think about it, the um, the the Romulans, because uh, you know they're quieter. And if you if you think of communist China, they you know for many many years they really weren't much of a threat. Um, the expansion of communism and China and Russia didn't get along with each other either, right? So that was kind of an odd dynamic of it of itself. And you just looked at the the Klingons as as brutal conquerors, you know. And in many ways, like Genghis Khan, when I think of the Klingons, that's the image that comes into my mind. Just, you know, a bunch of warriors, you know, just wanting to expand, that type of thing. And the Romulans, um, even though they say they were more like China, were more, you know, they really match up well with, with Roman history. Even their, even their politics align better with that. So I, I've heard that, I've read that, and I know that was kind of the basis for them at the um, at the outset, but it kind of morphed into those two things, I think, where it's almost like the Klingons are more um, aligned with Asian culture and um, aggressiveness, and, and the Romulans the other way around, I think, um, you know, kind of is that, that, that silent, but, you know, you got to watch them, and they're, they're you know, they're, they're, they're diabolical, but they're in the background all the time. Um, I think where you see the the alignment to the Russians with the Klingons is every time, uh, you know, like a private little war or something political happening, like uh, the trouble with triples, you know, the Russians were, it was always a cat and mouse game between the U.S. and Russia trying to gain influence in neutral ground and trying to turn them more one way or the other. So that's probably where you see the biggest connection with the Soviet Union. But the way they acted, and you know, with and especially in TNG, I mean, it just evolved. You know, this whole thing with honor and this, and actually, I would say Star Trek Three. It is very, you know, Shogun. You know, this is <laughs> this is what you expect. You know, you almost expect, you know, Tom Tom Cruise to be riding on a horse in the middle of Japan, going, "What? What happened? <laughs> How did that happen?" You know. But it, it's just it's just interesting to me. So I, I think that the um, they're very much their own villains that have become an amalgamation of different cultures, and so it really doesn't it doesn't play. But now you have to say that the biggest connection between the Klingons and the Soviet Union came with Chernobyl and um, the explosion at Praxis, right? I mean that was you couldn't be more spot on. Um, and you know, it, it, now there's there's such a disaster you can no longer afford to be enemies. So it forces them to the table, which was brilliant in its concept. So you know, the wall comes down, and then then that's really where it plays. But their culture and all that other stuff is pretty far from the Soviet culture. Well, I find it interesting that Ronald D. Moore, writer for Next Gen, D. Space Nine, mm-hmm. he is a huge original series fan. Yep, you know. And he pretty much invented the Klingon, reinvented the Klingon culture even further in his next-gen Deep Space Nine era than they did on you know, the original series movies. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that really switched the cultures around, you yeah. know, because we really get the honor, all that stuff, right? I don't know if he did that intentionally or unintentionally or what, but you would think, like, if this was today, people would be like, oh, my, they switched the, the Robert the, You know, people would be up, and if the internet was around in the third season of TNG, people would be really bad. People would be saying the same things they say about Discovery now, right? Like, oh, they got it all wrong. Don't these people watch Star Trek? Ronald D. Moore, biggest Star Trek fan of the world. And then for better or for worse, he just flipped the cultures. And it works, but it, 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 there is a difference there. Because, you know, even at the end of Balance of Terror, right? We're creatures of honor. Right, we I have a duty to perform. It blows up his ship. The Roman commander at the very, end. Very, very Japanese, right? Very yeah. Japanese. They would never be taken prisoner. They would scuttle their ships. They drown. They'd commit suicide rather than be captured. That was very Japanese. 
And then on the meanwhile, the Klingons the one that's the, you know the Klingons have no honor <laughs> in the original series, and they are as Worf describes the Romulans in the in Next Gen era so often. That's the Klingons of the original series. So it doesn't it's not an ADB comparison anymore. But I think that's fine too because I, you, you don't need everything to be a complete like oh well the Romulans are this and the Klingons are this like this is fiction, and I like how they're kind of like uh, amalgamations of all these different uh, cultures and conflicts we've had. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it's just from all the reading we did and all the watching of these shows over the years that that's how, you know, the writers kind of set it up. And so you saw, like a lot of things, things evolve. And and I think that they, they added a lot more depth to the Klingons, you know, so the, the characters really didn't have much depth at all. Um, you know, they were just they were just bad guys seeking to gain influence. And if you could align it to how the Russians were playing their game and trying to spread their version of communism, well, it just made a it, it made things sync up very well. That's all it was. And and as far as the Romulans being more like the Chinese, the Japanese, more Asian, I guess, in that thought process. And those two cultures are very, very different. So I don't want to swipe with a broad brush and forgive me for those, you know, for, if, if that's coming across. I don't mean to at all. Well, I guess where I'm going is, you know, again, based on the World War II type of thing and Enemy Below and all of that stuff, they took a they took a, a movie that was against Germans, but they kind of inserted the Japanese culture during World War II in that time frame. And just, you know, we will not be captured. We're, we're doing this. We're expanding. Sneak attack, Pearl Harbor-like, you know, outpost wasn't expecting it. It was, you know, almost, you know, point for point. And then as time went on, even the Romulans really, you know, changed the way they, they operated and it became more Roman. So it just just fascinating. I, I like what they did. I'm not criticizing that they, they, they changed course. I think you have to, especially 50 some odd years. You got you to gotta do it right. Yeah, and then as far as the movies go, I, I I wish you would have seen some Romulans in the original series movies. I mean, we see the one Romulan ambassador in Star Trek VI, and that's that's it. non clues. yeah. Let's cut to a, a still picture of him, Ken, as you say that, so we make sure the listeners know <laughs> who we're talking about. <laughs> well, somehow he's involved in this conspiracy, and that's never really... Yeah, it's his role there is never really fleshed no. out because he he is sitting in the president's of the United <laughs> the United Federation of Planets office when they're talking about all these rescue plans and stuff, right? Oh, wait a minute, we forgot we forgot Nimbus three. Oh, we did. <laughs> how, how 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 could we forget? Caitlin Dar, baby. Caitlin Dar, yeah. Uh... <laughs> and apparently, they didn't want to do her ears either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So she has this like hairdo that's so carefully like you would never know she's a Romulan unless you really looked at her close. Uh, but that's, that's right. great. I totally forgot about her. Yeah, and yeah. Then, you know it would it would have been so easy for like Star Trek two, right? Yeah, they're doing the Kobe Rashi Maru. Mm-hmm. Right, this is this is this is yet another. I don't. It's it's not one writer. Like I was I was talking about Ronald D. Moore earlier. It's not just one writer. It's it's the entirety of Star Trek franchise. People keep flipping and flopping the Klingons and the Romans, right? Because you look mm-hmm. at the Kobayashi Maru, right. Star Trek Two, they're in the neutral zone, right? Right? Which is is there a Klingon neutral zone? Apparently, there I didn't is know now. there was. Yep, there, there is now. Yeah. Yep. And they go in there, and then these ships come up, and they're using stock footage from the motion picture, right? right? And they're like, oh, it's Klingons. Okay, well, we already established the Klingons and Romulans have shared the ship design. Like, the Romulans have this ship design. (laughs) So you could have just said these are Romulans. You don't see them on screen. It would have been fine. And then Kirk comes in because uh, uh, once the simulation is over, he's like, the Klingons don't take prisoners. I'm like, oh, that's actually the Romulans, I thought. So, you know, the Klingons, because if you watch the original series, the Klingons take a lot of prisoners, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yep. even the next movie, right? Krug takes some prisoners. So uh, He certainly does. Yes. I want prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Very good. Very good, Christopher Lloyd. So, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's weird. Uh, it, Star Trek is, is notorious for its its, uh, its uh, continuity breaks, which we have a lot of fun with. But uh, I, I don't know. It, it, what, for whatever reason, you, you think there'd be like, okay, guys, the Romulans do this in this in this column over here. The Klingons do this. Depending on the story you want to tell, pick which one that fits the story. Instead, they're just like mixing and matching throughout the whole entirety of the franchise, it seems. Well, you know, I don't know what else to say. I think you've captured everything that just went down uh, between the original series, the movies, and then its connections, obviously, to the to the follow-on series, which, again, you know, things are going to evolve, but you're right. It, it is funny. They could have very easily switched and swapped and, and, and not been so concerned. And it, it would have been interesting, too, to see Christopher Lloyd as a Romulan, wouldn't you think? I, I think it helps that he's hidden behind the Cleon makeup for sure. <laughs> that would have been very distracting. 
Do you think they would have casted him though, if they had kept the original? I just wonder. Ah, uh, I don't know, man. That's I don't because he was kind of a name back then, right? He was still he wasn't you know the the A lister you know top of the line, but yeah, you know, Back to the Future, and he was big on Taxi. He was one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. He'd been around, you know. I just think the Romulans they're a little more subdued, right? And Christopher Lloyd just has an energy to him, which doesn't really translate to the Romulans, right? They're not very excitable. And he's a very excitable actor and character. So I, I don't see him working as a Romulan as well. So one of our plans one of these days, right, was to actually do the script from Star Trek V, right, with a bunch of characters. And, and obviously Sean Connery's voice, right, with... Uh, Shybok. Shybok, yes. And we, we were looking at that. I would love to do uh, uh, some, some snippets of Star Trek III with Christopher Lloyd as a Romulan. That would just be interesting to me. All right, we'll file that away. I don't. I don't really know how that would translate. But, I uh, don't either. But it, talk about having a distinct voice and trying to be logical with it. That'd be funny as hell. <laughs> that's good. You know, that's got me thinking though. And I, I, I might, I might have mentioned this on the show before because we have done many episodes of Stan Rubikin, so it's 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 hard to remember. Uh, I can't I can't remember episode titles and numbers, much less topics. Yes, but. Uh, Something I thought about was, you know, the original series Klingons, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. If you wanted to bring these guys back in the movies, right, I think it, it lines up pretty well. Uh, that you could have Kor, John Colicos could be Chang. Sure. In Star Trek Six. I think I think I think he he fits in that role perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's like, Oh, we're all an all space, all warriors are cold warriors, right? He's all about, you know, the the conflict and he lives for that. Right. Know? And then Koloth would be Kord from Star Trek Five, just kind of the washed up kind of goofy guy nobody takes seriously i think that would that's actually a very natural progression you know for his character i think yeah you could be right and then kang would be krug because he's the one that kirk actually kind of like fought like like man to man in the original series so i can kind of i can i can kind of see him playing that role in in star trek 3 as well so uh i i i, I not that i necessarily like would have made it better or anything like that, but it's just something to think about. Like if you do want to like, and we get them all back in Deep Space Nine, that's great. And I'm glad we did. I'm just saying like, if you wanted to keep them in the TOS family over there, all three of those would have slotted in perfectly in in those movies and those characters. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I think that um, um, just in that conversation alone, you talked about all the different episodes we've done on Standard Orbit. I I think you just blew our opportunity to have a nice (laughs) episode on its own. Oh well. <laughs> well, well, we'll definitely have to file that away because I, I like that thinking. Uh, if if you were to, and you could you could go right into TNG with that. If you were to recast with characters that uh, had already been established and some pretty big roles in these movies, what you know would have what would have been the impact? And I think that would have been that would have been pretty cool if they had done that. I really you know it's opportunities missed, I guess. But uh, at the time, it, it, you know. Um, the actors that they did pull in did a pretty good job. I mean, oh yeah, I totally get getting Christopher Lloyd and Christopher Plummer, right, as your main villains, which you can. So yeah, uh, it's understandable. Leonard Nimoy actually he wanted Edward James almost to be Krug. That was his choice. He would sure. have been really good. Yeah, really I'm not. I I know later career Edward James Alamos from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I don't really know younger Edward James Alamos, but he's a great actor. So well, he is, but you know, he the the problem with Krug has a lot of problems because of um, Christopher Lloyd's character, you know, Jim McNatowski, and we were, you know, I was watching Taxi every every week. It was a great show. I love Taxi. And so when he first came in as Krug, it was really hard to take seriously. It was. It took a, you know, I, I was like, this was a real bad casting choice. <laughs> I, I really thought that. I mean, he was not intimidating or scary, and it was it was kind of a joke. And then you're, you're watching, like, Starlog magazines, you know, Krug, fiercest Klingon ever. And I'm going, uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. The best villain since Cod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right it's kind of like yeah, it's been two years and he's the worst yeah it's um no. yeah anyway as time has gone on the character has you know it's been it's it was less impactful as far as you know kind of pulling the thread on that but there was a lot of teasing of with that choice back in the day mm-hmm. and a lot of impersonations on uh, on tv and stuff like that just jim mcnikowski as a klingon because uh, he was <laughs> he was yeah. you know and you, you you can't help that 
and and I think that's a shame. So I, it would have been something, you know, they really could have could have pulled up on him. But Edward James James almost he um he was very anim he was much more animated. And I I think what he is he's a very good situational actor. So I I think he could have adjusted perfectly. And I would have liked to, you know, it's it's kind of like um, the advice that Nicholas Meyer gave Ricardo Montalban, right? Never show him your top. And, you know, that's what made Khan such a great villain was, he, yes, he lost his temper, but when he really lost it, it was for a really good reason. He just wasn't an over-the-top villain. And that's kind of, I guess, how I would envision Edward James almost playing Krug. Um, very, very subdued, but yet just dangerous as hell. And that's a scary villain. Mm. Yeah, he is. Uh, I know we're joking about it, but he actually is my second favorite Star Trek movie villain after Khan. Uh, and then I probably rank Chang third. I think Krug gets the advantage for me because he, him and Kirk actually fight, you know, face to face, man to man. Not that that's some kind of like prerequisite because, of course, Khan and Kirk never even share the same room together in their movie. But th- th- there's just something to that, you know, th- that you don't get to see with all these other villains. I mean, like, I, you go down this list, all these other Romulans and Klingons of the whole original series. Kirk fights Kang and Kirk fights Krug and none of these other guys come to blows like physically, you know, man to man. So. No, and it was probably, you know, and, you know, you, you have Kirk who's doing some actiony things in, in Star Trek four, you know, he's, he's doing the big swim and he releases the whales. And then it's, by the time Star Trek five comes around, it's like, you know, him climbing up the side of the mountain, you're going, oh, okay. You know, he, he's getting up there. Um, and it's it's hard to stay with it. So I think that you're right that the fight that he had with Krug was probably at the right time uh, in 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 the um, I guess in the timeline for for Kirk to still be hashing it out because if he you know you you have um, Christopher Plummer who's the same age if not even um, he I think might, he's older maybe is he older I, I don't know but they're close I mean they're both yeah. what in their they're in their high 80s now right yeah. whatever it is 87 <laughs> yeah. 88 I mean they're up there. Uh, and God bless them. I mean, they, but, um, you know, to me, it was more like the uh, the, the two old strategy. It, you know, it, mm. it was it was Patton versus Rommel. It was, you know, something along those lines. And I, I thought it was high praise for Star Trek three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, but as far as the going back to the TV show, kind of, you know, I'm, we're going to bash heads and all that other stuff. It worked. I mean, that was a great fight scene or whatever. I have had enough of you. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. You know, and then eight or nine years later, when, when Kirk is fighting Sora and you're going, no, 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 no. This, you know, these guys, you know, with, they should be hitting each other with their canes. It just, it was, it was, it, it just was not something you're, you're looking at going, this is not tangible. This is, you know, it, you, you try to, you try to keep people with their, as people age and so forth. Um, I think there's a level of, yeah, can old people fight? Sure. But then it looks like that. And that's not what you want to see on screen. You know, you, you want to see more of a, a battle of wits or even the, the space battle in Star Trek II was phenomenal, right? Just um, two people playing a game of chess as to who was going to get each other first. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, speaking of bringing back characters for, for other movies, you, know, th- you think about the Romulan commander, right, from Enterprise Incident. Mm. And they actually tried to bring her back for TNG, but I think she was unavailable. Uh, Joan Level, I, don't I think I'm pronouncing name. her name right. Yeah. Uh, she was actually at STLV last year, and it was great because they 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 had kind of found her through her daughter, mm-hmm. who had played her same character in Star Trek Continues, uh, who looks exactly like her, by the way. If you guys amazing. Seen Star Trek Continues, it was amazing. Right? <laughs> yes, it's like yes. whoa! It's like he pulled her right out of the '60s. That was crazy. That was that's probably the most. Uh, in, in in continues are the, the most lookalike that you I've ever seen right the, the, it's it's obviously it's hard to match big time actors but oh my goodness did she look exactly like her mom and you know my point of bringing all that up to begin with was that they they had talked about bringing her back for TNG I had heard for Data's Day but also I had heard for Face of the Enemy I'm not sure exactly which episode it was but she was unavailable because she hey she was a working actress you know uh, it would have been great to see her back again. Uh, but you know they, they they at least they at least tried they tried to pull a get a, pull pull a D space nine with Blood Oath they tried to do that with first on TNG with with her character the Romulan commander and maybe we'd have we'd have got her name if we finally would have seen her again you know so only Spock knows her name we don't yeah well I um it it'd be cool I, I'm gonna make every effort I can to get to Star Trek Las Vegas this year I really really want to get out there and um you know it's it's been a couple of years so it's time uh, and and I'm hoping that some of these folks. Uh, 
well, is she is she still alive? I didn't think she. Yeah, was. she was there last year. She was there last year. Okay, I, I just wasn't sure. But anyway, it'd be it'd be great to see all of them because you know I was looking at kind of the the list they have this year, and it's um it's it's significant, but it's not like past years yet. And I don't know if they're going to be driving it home as they go. Well, it's still it's still pretty early in the year, but I I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty powerful. It's just you know right now they're they're kind of highlighting you know the senior custodian of you know stage 19 that was there or something whatever it is. <laughs> okay, whatever. But you know when I was there for the 50th, they had a lot of great folks um, in that autograph room. You know, just well beyond Star Trek um, fame too. I mean, they had some really cool folks to talk to. So uh, hopefully that'll happen. But I I, I do like to see these actors still around from the original series because it's kind of like interviewing people from world war ii there's just fewer and fewer people to to talk about what what went down you know absolutely that's a good point that's a good point uh and then finally just to wrap things up brief mention here of the kelvin timeline what did you think of their reinvention of the romulans and the klingons and i, and I put an asterisk by the reinvention of the romulans because there's a specific reason why those romulans are so different because they're from the future and they shave their head and they have tattoos so they were almost to the point where they weren't even romulans anymore and they don't even really factor into this conversation i think yeah i i, I think they did fine i like the um I, I mean i think nero in in the crew played great characters and I guess the the one thing I liked was they didn't have the the dopey foreheads that the TNG people put on <laughs> yes. the Romulans. I, I I never ever understood it. It never worked for whatever. And it's funny that you know even in TOS they could never get the costuming right for the Romulans. They just look goofy. Um, I like the original series costumes. You don't like the original not, series costumes for Romulans? Wearing like. Uh, well, it was just you know it's like the pants just cut off just below the knees, and it it just. It just had a weird. It was very alien. It was kind of alien '60s, I guess. But no, I never really thought they they captured it that well. I mean, you know, I guess in the very first episode that you see them with um, Mark Leonard, it, it was fine. But you know, when when they're when they're walking around on the during the Enterprise incident, I was just like, wow, you know, this is a miss. And then you know, TNG. They they just compounded it, you know. It's like okay, let's take something bad and make it worse. I like the I like how they used the Romulans. I just didn't like the the costumes or the or the thing with the head. I just, I, you know. And then Nero comes from the TNG era, right? I mean, he comes back in time, and I understand that, you know, this was according to the to the books that uh, took place prior to the incident. You know, they shaved their heads and tattooed themselves as kind of like a it was all symbolic of of their cause. So I get it, but they they look fine, you know. They had they had um, pretty good British and Australian accents too. So, far torpedoes. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think Eric Banner he gets a bad rap for playing Nero. I think Nero Why? was fine. You got to understand his his function is to be the villain of the movie, and that's it, right? There's not a lot of depth there. I mean, he's like kind of a poor man's con, right? <laughs> In some ways, as as most of these Star Trek villains are. Uh, but I thought he was fine because his function is like to be the villain, and the whole purpose of that movie is to bring the crew together. Yeah, but what's funny about you saying that is I've never heard anybody criticize Banya's character. Uh, I, I just never once. I think if you go like a list of like, oh, how do you rank the Star Trek villains? I mean, he's kind of he's kind of near the bottom, you know. Really? Uh, yeah. I, I I mean, I don't think I think he's kind of in the middle to me. I mean, he's whatever. He he did the role what the role required. He did fine. And let's not forget they cut out a lot of scenes. Uh, as well, that would have kind of given you some insight into his character. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, it's it's funny. I mean, I guess you're 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 defending something I don't know about, right? So that's 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 fine. I, I just was like, damn. I thought he played a damn good villain. His interaction with Pike. Um, Hi, so, Christopher. I'm Nero. Yes, but even the inter but even the interrogation. It has happened. You know. I mean, it was just. You know, it, 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 you you could just tell where he was coming from, and mm -hmm. you know, he and he had this just very despondent look about him you know like somebody really suffering from you know a horrible version of ptsd just mm -hmm. you know in a real bad spot and, and i don't know geez I, I really thought he he kicked ass as nero it's just funny you're saying that that's all i just didn't know ignorance is bliss you know maybe i'm wrong about that i uh i mean I, that was my 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 pulse on the fandom you, you seem to show you're more you're more into it than i am as far as having the pulse of things man you know. uh, yeah, but I mean, hey, Nero, great name for a Romulan, right? As Very of good. the Emperor Nero from mm -hmm. Roman Empire. So, anyway. do you think the Romulans call their planets Romulus and Remus, <laughs> based off Earth nope. mythology? That doesn't. Well, Vulcan too, man. 
<laughs> I know, right? What the heck? <laughs> you know that 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 graphic of the new that just reminds me of that graphic of the neutral zone in uh, the Balance of Terror. Something they definitely should have updated for Star Trek Remastered. I'm just saying, like it's a static image on a screen. You know, if they can if they can fix little things like the chronometer in the naked time, they could have fixed the map of the neutral zone. But it said ROM and ROM I or ROM two, and people have been debating that for years. So like they're like, it's not continuity error. It should be Remus. I'm like, I think it meant Romulus and Romulus two, because uh, if you look at it, it says ROM I I uh, Roman numeral. So anyway, a uh, little <laughs> that's just something like that's such an obvious thing to update. I know they have limited on time resources. For Star Trek Remastered, but that map certainly doesn't look like the maps we see in Discovery, does it, Ken? No, and 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 like I said, they're they're working too hard to go backwards on that show. I'm like, stop, just 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 do your thing, have fun. Well, speaking of that, segues into you know the Klingons here from Into Darkness. We see mm-hmm. them very briefly, mm-hmm. uh, but I like the Klingons well enough, and I have a whole new appreciation for those changes after I see the changes they made to the <laughs> Discovery. Uh, interesting that the the helmets that the Klingons wear, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and and actually, we don't see them in 09. We see them in deleted scenes of 09. That's right. But I like I like those helmets, and it's funny again. You're switching stuff from the Romans and Klingons who wore who wore helmets back in the original series, the Romulans, right? right? But now the Klingons are wearing them. So again, that 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 thread that consistent inconsistency continues. That's right for the flip flop of those two races, and I I like those designs, and I would like to see more of the Klingons in the Kelvin timeline had we gotten the chance. Yeah, I, I thought they did a good job with the Klingons in in the uh, Kelvin timeline. I really do the. I don't. I don't know who the actor was who, who played that one Klingon that they, you know, they they meet when they when they head to Kronos. But dang, I mean, um, his eyes were piercing. His uh, the 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 job they did, you know, even putting the the jewelry in with the uh, the the head bumps and all of that, for lack of a better term. I was like, dang, you, you know, that was a kick-ass um, na- villain right there. I mean, he really looked intimidating, and um, they haven't matched that. I don't think really before after ever since Mark Leonard's first Klingon, which I think was, you know, that was awesomely done and explained how the, how the brains are backwards in their heads. And that's why the spine goes over the top and somewhere along the line that just got, you know, trashed or thrown away. So it just become a weird little head design, but damn, I thought that, uh, that first makeup with Mark Leonard was, was pretty cool. And the Klingons look kick-ass, but then, uh, and into darkness, that was probably the, the, the badassiest Klingons we've seen to date. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and uh, I don't know if we'll get a Star Trek four. We probably, we will not, probably won't we will at this not, point. No. I, I, you know, I did, I, I think I, I think I cut that out of a previous episode, but I think I, I did call it, you know, you remember me calling it a few months ago and I was like, Hey, it's not going to be a Star Trek four. Yeah. <laughs> so. What's going to be interesting, Zach, is that, um, you know, I, I've been, you know, following what's going on over at Viacom and CBS and the, the most investors now are betting that the merger talks will reemerge somewhere after the March-April time frame um, as, as these two companies uh, kind of spin on their own and have difficulties um, gaining the synergies now that A&T, Time Warner, all the, you know, Disney, Fox, all these folks have come together, um, that it's, it's no longer of uh, a choice for these two companies if they want to evolve. Otherwise, they'll just keep spinning down into oblivion, and then they'll be, they'll be picked up by some other major media power. And so if they don't combine, they'll, they'll get eaten up themselves. So I think that's, that's what they're saying. March, April timeframes, you'll start to see those talks. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, I also saw a rumor, something about discovery being too expensive. I don't know if that was BS so that, um, you know, they, that production might not go on forever. So that, that could be interesting. That that's one way you could pull it into a movie as well. Yeah, lots of mo- lots of rumors swirling around Star Trek. So it's uh, I think I think we could all agree that a remerger of Paramount and CBS would be to the benefit of all things Star Trek. So I really am pulling for that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's see what happens, man. A couple months, we'll see. You you say there'll be no Star Trek four. I agree with you. However, well, put an asterisk on that and see what happens if these two companies come back together. I I think there will be no Star Trek four in the Kelvin timeline. I think there will be uh, there will be another Star Trek movie one day. <laughs> But it won't be the Star okay. Trek Four we thought we were going to get a few years ago. So that's that's, no, that's my statement sure, yeah. uh, as of this recording on uh, Saturday, February 9th, two thousand nineteen. Uh, let it be written. So it is said. On that note, <laughs> on that note, the Romulans and Klingons and their connections aren't the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek FM, the Ready Room. I. 
just wonder. Like, I, I think this is sort of a delicate focus area mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a series, Section mm-hmm. 31. I think it will be very easy to make an interesting TV show that strays too far away from what Star Trek is at its core unless it's handled carefully and so I'm going to be interested to see what they do with it and I'm kind of wait and see. That can be a dynamic tension. You could have two different characters Mm -hmm. or two different factions that represent that spectrum. Earl Grey. But yeah, it is kind of a very Kirk thing like I'm going to you know, save the day this way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that as a great moment because the twist, you just don't see it at all. And here Riker comes and is like, nope, I'm not. And then bam, bing, bing. And poo, poo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the first time I saw it, I was like, oh no, if Riker's infected, how are they going to get up? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just right to the very end. It was great timing mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. The orb. The way that you live your life is a routine and a pattern and almost an addiction because it becomes just what you do. And to break out of that takes immense work. And, and therefore, you, you usually, when you're going to make a change like that, you need some sort of safety net. And Brow hasn't been in a place where he feels that long enough, even though Kira is kind of offering that to him. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Pike's answer was a little, well, I owe you a simile. Like, oh, come on, dude. Uh, but but when he talks to Connolly, he's like, do you see how many syllables died? Like, that <laughs> was <know>. great. <laughs> that was so funny. Oh, my gosh. That was so amazing. I'm being a bit contradictory right here because I like Pike for the reasons I don't like Tilly, right. but. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. Yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>